Okay, uh, I'm looking for my script. That's why I'm acting weird. You got yours? I do. You're a good man. I don't care what anybody says. I just bring that file up now. I'm like a trained dog. Welcome to the Dave Squared Podcast. I'm David Kramer coming to you from Northern California. And I'm Dave Blasco from Arizona. Dave and I have been friends since the early 1980s when we were college roommates. We finally found a medium to share our wisdom with the world, or at least our opinions. Between us, we have two engineering degrees, two master's degrees, an economics degree, and over 60 years of work experience, probably going on 70 at this point. (laughs) We're making this podcast together to try to help each other and hopefully you, the listener, save some money. Okay, Mr. Kramer, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we are recording this February 19th, I believe. Uh, no, sorry, February 20th, 2021. I just got a text from my sister-in-law in Austin, Texas, saying, Hey, um... Send some water? Hi, David. What kind of generator do you all have? We need to buy one. <laughs> so that's not really funny, but it's very timely. So, uh, we, uh, the poor people in Texas have been suffering this last week. They got hit with the unexpected snap of cold weather and the things we depend on as citizens, like regular power and clean water piped to your house, have failed them miserably. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about that just watching the news, thinking about... Am I, you know, am I prepared for something like this? And Arizona doesn't really have many natural disasters. I thought probably we could tap into some of your planning because you live in an earthquake area. Um, I have lived, I lived in South Florida a long time ago, back in the 1970s and 80s, before they really, in a period that was almost no hurricane activity. Hmm. But I, but I do remember back in the day, um, boarding up the house once for a storm that never really hit but my some of my relatives have lived there and have had the power off at their house for one to three weeks and uh when i lived in tennessee i never had the power off but the year before we lived there there was a big ice storm and the power in my suburban neighborhood was out for two weeks without power so this whole texas thing has kind of got me thinking like am i adequately prepared Yes. And are we, it would be easy to blame the Texans because they've been laughing at us. They have lots and lots of power in Texas. Um, That wasn't the problem. It was just getting it to people's houses. That was the problem. Um, And, but things are changing. Um, However, this wasn't a once in a lifetime thing in Texas. It was, uh, they've, had a similar cold snap in what was it 2011 right i believe so yeah sometime in the last 10 years or so so i i believe once all is said and done is i think the recommendation was for them to winterize some of their gas wells and some of the equipment there that wasn't done so they're equipped they're not equipped to handle cold weather where the you know cold states that have a lot colder weather are equipped to handle these things and don't have don't miss a beat if you live in Iowa or the Dakotas, it just, you go on because these things have to be winterized. Yes. It's really scary. So my 
in-laws, one of my sisters, sisters-in-law lives there and my uh, wife's parents live there and they lost power and they lost the water to their house. And some of this stuff, I'm sure East Coasters, Midwesterners think is laughable. Like, well, how did you lose the water? Don't you have your the main going into your house four feet underground? And like, I, I live in Northern California, it's very temperate here. I do know that my water main is buried more than four feet underground. However, where it comes into the house is above ground. You can see it on the outside, there's a tap on it. Um, so it would be very easy to forget that and have it break in the cold. Of course, if you had no heat, it could break on the inside of the house too, right? Yeah, and I saw pictures where people's plumbing was breaking inside their house, which is when you when you live up north. I lived in Ohio. You, you lived up north when it's really cold. The local news reminded you to leave the water dripping. So you leave the water dripping a little bit so the water wouldn't freeze in your pipes and things are a little bit better insulated. Um, I'm not clear if people if people didn't have running water. I thought they didn't have running water because you use electrical pumps to pump water into the towers and once the tower runs dry that's what i thought happened but i'm not 100 sure so the, the the water tower runs dry there's no pressure delivered pressure to your house uh i might have misunderstood it but that's certainly there was a lot of things going on um yeah but i but maybe it's a con i don't really know i that's what i assumed it to be because you need electricity to pump that water generally into the into the top of the tower then use you know you use the water at a height and the pressure to pressurize the lines yeah but the the pipes breaking in people's houses if you live in the north or you live like lake tahoe or someplace where it regularly freezes uh you learn how to drain down a line and plumbers put them in so they they, they slope so they do drain when they're empty and if they don't mm -hmm. do that properly they break and then when you repair it you fix it properly but if it only happens once every 10 or 20 years you, you don't even know yeah yeah i mean living in florida people in florida that grew up there wouldn't ever you know know to to do that or ever think about it but um you know in ohio i remember at least probably a few nights a year we would run the just a small slow drip because you're just worried about your lines freezing overnight and i hadn't heard of this before but people in texas were being encouraged to do the slow drip thing but to harvest that water rather than let it go down the drain because the the supply was in jeopardy so they were saving it for drinking water or at least to flush toilets People that are melting snow to flush their toilets. Yeah, it's crazy. So I was thinking from my perspective, um, it's not going to be ever, I can't imagine it'd be ever cold enough where I live. Uh, we have a few nights that get down to freezing every every season, maybe four or five nights that we get a little frost on top of the trash bucket or something like that outside. But um, if you didn't have water, what would you do? And it got me thinking, I, I have the luxury of having a pool. So worst comes to worst, I have the pool to flush the toilets, take a very cold shower bath. <laughs> but then I was thinking I should probably get some sort of device um, as, a, as a backup for filtering that water like you do when you're camping. Yeah, you could do that. I have one of those in my earthquake bag. I think it's called a life straw. They cost about 20 bucks. I've never used it. I should probably you probably find out when I unwrap it because I need it that it'll be like, oh, and don't forget to put this in the dishwasher once or twice. <laughs> I've seen those and I almost bought those. So I'm kind of thinking I should probably, we should probably do something like that or have some larger filter so that, you know, the, the pool would be the backup, if you will, right? Because you need water to sustain, sustain life. You don't have water after seven days, you're going to die for sure. It's true. And it's one reason why I didn't switch to an instant hot heater, um, which has some green benefits. But we have 30 gallons of uh, potable water stored in the hot water heater. 
That's a good, that's a good point for listeners. I didn't think about that. So that you'd have the water out there. Just have to remember that not take, Oh, I'm going to take one more shower. (laughs) Oh, right, right, right. And then I'm thinking, okay, if the electricity went off in the winter time, it wouldn't be bad. It it may be a little chilly, but we keep our house kind of chilly compared to most people. So like right now we're not even turning the heat on. It's a little chill. It's chilly in the morning more, more than most people like, but you're not going to die from that. I think the summertime, if it's 110 and you didn't have power, that would really suck. Um, and I guess in that case, people used to sleep outside in Arizona. They'd put a wet towel on themselves and sleep out in the patio and use that evaporation to help cool them down. Um, but certainly the heat would probably be problematic for some people. For a regularly healthy person, you'd probably just be really unhappy and probably survive and just stay in the shade. Yeah, I was surprised when we moved in our house here, we lost power for several days uh, 20 years ago. And it got cold, and I'm like, oh, it's fine. I have gas-fired furnace. I'm all set. And uh, that doesn't work if you don't have power. Like, Do you need the, the electric motor blows the hot air through the, the vents, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And my the previous owner had had a generator, and he had figured out how to wire it. But uh, <laughs> as I just told my sister-in-law, I never did get around to putting the generator because I couldn't decide between diesel-fired and gasoline-fired and natural gas-fired. Because if you had natural gas, you wouldn't have to. It's a little more to install it, a little more plumbing, uh, but you wouldn't have to fuel it, which is dangerous and can be messy. Uh, and so since I was caught, I never did anything, <laughs> which is a cheap solution. Yeah, we've been really fortunate here. I've lived in this in this same look in uh, central Arizona, Arizona for 24 years, and we had the power go off one time. I mean, the power has probably gone off. We go years with the power going off. There was one time where the power went off for like a couple more than an hour. Like it was up for like maybe two to three hours during summertime. It kind of sucked, but that's the only time the power has been off any significant amount. Of time here so we've been really really fortunate i bet that's what they say in texas too dave probably probably losing water would be an even bigger drag like you say you can't live without water um and there was an attempt allegedly in tampa to poison the water supply during the super bowl i read about in the newspaper yeah i saw that i mean that that's a whole other podcast topic or two about potential terrorist kind of activities that does scare you so I'm thinking that listeners, you should have some water. I remember we lived in Florida every year before hurricane season, we would buy some extra supplies, mainly canned food, mainly like soup, um, some canned vegetables, beans, crackers, that sort of thing. And then some water at that time, water in plastic containers was not a thing anymore. It didn't really, (laughs) didn't really exist, but you could buy those big gallon things of water generally. Um, and at the end of the season, you try to use that stuff up maybe after hurricane season, season's over because otherwise you have a bunch of stuff that you forget about and goes bad in a couple of years. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, we have some bottled water specifically for that. We try to avoid bottled water. It's not very responsible environmentally. Uh, the thing is, the plastic bottles, they go bad after a couple of years. You're not supposed to drink them. Weird stuff yeah. leaches out of the plastic. Yeah. So it's probably good to rotate that, but I'm kind of rethinking like maybe we should have something like that in terms of, like you said, the life straw. And then, you know, you can just use the water from the pool um, to flush the, the toilet. And if you wanted to in January, you could take a very cold bath or a very True. cold shower. <laughs> could probably heat it up outside. But um, 
it'd probably be good to have some, we, we do have some bottled water. I'd probably just think about having a set amount of that for some period of time. They do sell um, now uh, bottled water in aluminum cans, like a Coors yeah. Light bottle with the screw off. So they're actually reusable. It was very oh. expensive a couple of years ago when I first started looking at it, but I noticed they sell it at the airport now. So I bet the price is coming down on that. And that will last for years and years. And it's actually uh, easier to recycle if you worry about such things. You can redo that. And then I was thinking, you know, I've seen all these prepper supplies at like Costco where you can buy ready to eat meals that last for 10 years. And, you know, I've not, I've thought about that. And it's like one of these events where the probability is really low, but the consequences are really high. So I don't, poo-poo it you know for anybody thinking about stuff like that it's it's um kind of like wearing your seatbelt probability is low you're going to be an accident but the consequences are really high if you are so um i don't know if i'd want that but i uh, but it might be good to think hey maybe i should have a few more cans of soup or something like that to rotate through and have some uh, some meals that are easy to store and don't go bad for a while yeah the other thing you could do is uh encourage your local utility to prepare for extreme weather yeah i'm just i'm well i'm think I, I i'm not sure what's going to happen in texas but it looks pretty clear to me i've done a little maybe a couple a couple hours of reading that it's a failure to winterize and so this kind of storms are going to happen every 10 years i feel bad for the folks there and i just you and i talked briefly before we started you know i did a kind of back of the envelope calculation i think the cost of winterizing would be like 40 bucks per person by my calculation but i think all those people in texas are going to have their insurance rates for their house or apartment go sky high like like it's happened in florida and a lot of major carriers are going to come out so you're going to pay way more money with higher insurance rates it'd be much cheaper to invest and then bake it back into the bill over the you know the time period of those you know those winterization ideas would probably last 10 15 years or longer and then mm-hmm. if you baked it back into the monthly rate it'd be pretty small so dear listeners if you don't like numbers go ahead and skip ahead 30 or 30 or 60 seconds but how did you get to the $40, Dave? I'd really like to hear that. Oh, my goodness sakes. Um, I saw an article. I, I've been really interested in this because I've been thinking about you know things that happened in my life, and I've been pretty fortunate not to have uh, gone, one, gone through one of these things. So let me just see if I can do it very simply. There was a study that talked about the cost of winterizing gas wells back in 2011. It would be $1.7 billion. Okay. I estimated that for, for the because I believe a lot of the problem is they couldn't get the gas out of the wells. Um, so I said, okay, well, if they just did that, because the the capacity of the plants is there, it's just they couldn't get the gas was frozen. I said, okay, in today's dollars, it'd be like $2.1 billion. Okay. And then I estimated that there, I think there's about 30 million people in Texas. I guessed that there's 2.2 people per household. A household would get the utility. So I figured there's like 13.6 million households. So I estimated all that and I calculated the cost per household would be $465 to winterize wells. Well, no one wants to pay 465. And I just guesstimated that the lifespan of winterizing would be 10 years. It might be longer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long it'd be. And then I said the cost per household per year would be like 46 bucks from that or $3.87 per month. So it's just my wild ass calculation, if you will. Now there's probably other things in there, but I, I got to believe you're going to run to the problem that Florida had. I used to live in Florida and you used to be able to get normal house insurance in Florida. Like I have what I consider normal insurance here. Right. I can, I can, for a thousand bucks, I can get insurance for my house that, you know, what covers catastrophic things, right. With a big deductible in Florida, this same house that I live in Florida would be 
like eight, $9,000 to um, have insurance on. It's just crazy because they've had so many huge hurricane events that have just um, cost billions and billions of dollars. I think that we're going to see Texas insurance rates go through the roof here in the next year. And probably some insurers say, to heck with it. I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to write policies here because we're expecting every 10 years, we're going to have this catastrophic event. It's hard for us to plan for that. Let's put a pin in that and come back to it. I agree with you, but I want to talk a little bit about more about the numbers. Uh, yeah. Cause that wasn't the only problem. They also had coal fired plants and nuclear plants and wind generating went down. So I, and I think it was just instruments that were outside that froze and they couldn't control the plants anymore. I heard crazy stuff like literally the, the pile of coal. You have a big coal pile and you bring it in with the big dumpsters. I heard that those piles froze huh. so they couldn't break apart the coal to get it in the dumpster. I mean, it's literally stuff like that. And then on the wind, I looked in Texas. It's interesting. Um, they do get about, by this article, they do get a about 20% of there. They have more wind power than coal power in Texas. Hmm. But um, the wind generations aren't winterized. Like if you have wind power up in the Dakotas, you have blades that have heaters in them mm -hmm. so they can keep ice off of them. And again, this is like once every 10 year event, the folks there chose not to have um, de-icers on their are on their windmills on their turbines so that was part of the problem right we should probably remind our listeners here that uh, a hundred hundred year storm or a 10-year storm is just a statistical thing it happened to be exactly 10 years here in texas but you could have 200 year storms two years in a row yeah it's just a roll of the dice but so you know my calculation didn't take into those other things in consideration but i gotta believe i'm just guesstimating that people's insurance might go up 20 percent We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. I'm I'm guessing that working together, it's probably cheaper to winterize things than it is to have everybody say you're on your own. And oh, by the way, you got to cover the cost of your insurance, which is going to go way up because the insurance companies aren't going to write policies for the same price anymore because they're going to say, hey, we are worried that five percent of the houses are going to have flooding leaks. I saw some of those pictures. Just I mean, some of these places are going to you have to gut the whole ceiling. Is they look like not a total loss, but a substantial loss in some of these places, like similar to a fire where everything just has water damage. Yeah, I was going to propose looking at the calculation another way, which was even if you're if you took your two billion and doubled it, or do it two and a half times to say five billion yeah. with other stuff that we haven't thought of. Um, the last guess I saw was fifty five zero billion dollars worth of damage from this storm in Texas. Gotcha. Um, so it's nowhere close. Um, it's yes, people would have to pay more and they are going to pay more now. Right. I, I don't quite understand it, but I did see some headlines that say somebody got an electric bill of $10,000 for this. I don't understand it. So I, I think there's, uh, I think you can, you have some situations where you have pay by use kind of situations where it's not fixed cost where I, like where I live, we have different plans and you can be, I was on the time of use plan for many years where you pay different rates based on the time. So when it's peak times, it's more expensive and it helps the utilities. Um, utilities want average power. They don't want peaks. They have to then build more plants to handle the peaks. Right. So if you can switch off and dry your laundry, which is a big thing that most people do and do that during a non-peak time, then I don't have to be, build 10 power plants. I can build seven, which is cheaper. 
Um, but I don't know the details of that, but it sounds like some people have power plants which can fluctuate based on the cost of power. And I heard that on the spot market, people are paying like hundreds, if not thousands of times normal price for some spot power over the last week in Texas. Yeah, Texas, they had all these compounding problems. So the normal peak load in Texas is in the summer because it's a very hot state. So it's from air conditioning. Right. So because it got so cold, they had a peak demand. Meanwhile, a lot of plants were already offline because that's when they do their their maintenance. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty normal, right? Yeah, and then they had some, uh, with the rolling blackouts, which didn't roll very much, uh, there were gas pumps, natural gas pumps that weren't getting power, so they weren't feeding power to the generator plants. So it's it's very sad. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a fiscally conservative kind of guy, so I gotta believe that winterizing for everybody together is probably an order of magnitude cheaper than telling everybody you're on your own. Cause you, you talk about your sister, right? Not everybody can afford a generator. I, I've looked at some of those generators before. Um, I, we used to have one for the plant that I was responsible for up, up in Utah cause we had power issues and this is ran a whole hundred thousand, you know, square foot plant, but some of those generators cost four grand, five grand, six grand, seven grand. I know people in Florida who've purchased them fairly, you know, fairly well-to-do people, but not everybody can afford that. But you think of all the costs that you would have to do as a person, install a generator, pay way more for your insurance. It would be so much cheaper, I think, to winterize and then spread it across everybody as a mitigation for something like you said, that's going to happen maybe once every 10 years on average, but could happen more often. So something we talked about, and I haven't done anything about it yet, but um, <laughs> we both have large electrical storage uh, capacity at our house. Mine was made by Tesla and yours was made by Leaf. If we could figure out a way to invert the power stored in our cars, we could probably run a refrigerator and some space heaters for a couple of days anyway. Yeah, a few things. I mean, you can uh, buy an you can buy an inverter which plugs into your lighter. So you could you could do that um, for a couple hundred bucks. You could buy an inverter that might run run a few things like that. So that's another option for people to go out and buy a power inverter. You can you can put it right to your battery. It'll invert the power. Um, that's one thing. I heard some people were using. Um, I heard some people are using the new F-150s hybrids to run their house. So they must have a, they may have a plug. I think some new, maybe they have a plug in back or something like that, but you can get a power inverter, hook it to the battery and, and, and then have the inverter step up the voltage and then change it from DC to AC. And you already have solar power at your house. So you could invest in a uh, energy storage system that would let you run when other people aren't. I know that currently a regular old solar system goes down when the grid goes down. I don't know. You know, it's a good question. I don't know if we could, I don't know if that's possible. It, it uh, Technically it's possible. Like if, if the grid goes down, I, my house doesn't keep on going because it cuts off the, it cuts off the solar panels to the local utility. So there's no electricity running through in case someone's working on the lines. It's a safety issue. So if I got the battery, I don't know. I don't, it seems conceptual, well, technically you can do that, but I don't know legally if you can even run the battery, but I would think you could be able to do that and then have to shut it back off to the grid, I guess. Uh, unless there's something unusual where you are, but uh, you remember we had uh, Steve Kelly on. Steve on, yeah. They can run when there's no power. Yeah. And my point would be, that's not a bad idea if you lived in the middle of nowhere to do that. But if you're, I live in suburbia, you live in suburbia, 
those power packs cost a lot of money. It would be cheap, be cheaper to have uh, $46 put on your, put on your uh, bill every month rather than buying a, you know, $7,000 generator and a $12,000 battery pack. I don't disagree with you, Dave, but uh, yeah. we don't get to set policy. Even but if you had a bully pulpit of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you had to go on, my, my only point is I think doing that for the whole is a whole heck of a lot expensive and helps more people out than letting people just do it on their own to say buy a generator or buy a battery pack because that's and then because insurance rates for everybody including people who are not well to do are going to go up like crazy uh, i agree with you 100 percent. we live in a society we depend on each other i gotta tell you dave it's making me harder to believe in american exceptionalism you know i'm an engineer and i'm proud of our country but it's little things like being able to deliver clean water and power and safe roads and stable government. And uh, we seem to be whittling away with that. Hopefully it'll yeah. get better over the next few years. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but it, from a personal perspective, it got me thinking about, I sh there could be some situations where unforeseen issues could keep you without power and without, you know, water. So I'm thinking, you know, having some extra water around and, um, I have a big source of water that I could use for certain things, but like a life straw or like you said, some extra canned or bottled water around. And then maybe um, I have a stove that we have from camping. So I've got some propane canisters, little ones, like one of those little, I don't know, camp out stoves, yep. you know, if you want to cook something hot, that, that's kind of the backup if you wanted to cook something, I guess. Um, yeah, and it's hard to be resilient in every way. When we had some blackouts here over the summer because of uh, wildfires, uh, one of my coworkers lived in a house that was uh, on a well, so she didn't have water, couldn't shower. Um, so, well, because I was thinking, my first was like, "Oh, it'd be great to have a well," but if you don't have any power, it's just got water four hundred feet below your house. Yeah, I mean, I, I I worked with people who lived in Puerto Rico, and they were without power. They were there were of the six guys down there, they were out power for three months to six months. I mean, went six months without power. That's a lot. You know, you think about that. Could I do that? I guess you've, I guess you'd figure out how to do it, but wow, that's a long time to live without, to live without the modern conveniences we're so used to. Yes, it is. Um, well, fingers crossed. And you do live someplace that's very low on natural disasters. Uh, yeah one point I looked on a map to try and figure out the safest place to live in uh, in the country. And Phoenix was up there. As long as you keep some fresh water around and don't camp in the dry riverbeds in the springtime, it's a pretty safe yeah. place. Yeah. I mean, it, it does have, it, it seems to me too, that it has the fewest natural disasters. You don't see no hurricanes, big storms like that. Don't have snow. Yeah. But it really suck if this happened in the summertime. It would be so. It would be very unbearably hot if that happened. Six months of summer without with air conditioning would really be unpleasant. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. The, and the insurance thing is another good point um, because that's another way we get society to share our extreme problems. Right? You're supposed to have insurance yeah. for things that one person can't handle, and that's why the bank insists that you have it. Because uh, they don't want to hold a bunch of burnt down houses, um, but the disasters all do seem to be hitting people in waves. The earthquake hits everybody, and the wildfire hits everybody, and the burst pipes hit everybody. It's going to be rough in Texas. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard to. There's 
get building contractors in there because everybody has a demand right now. It's just, it was unbelievable. Some of the pictures, basically pipes broke inside somebody's house. They have a two-story house and water was just pouring down from the second floor into the first floor because there, it was zero degrees inside. There was no heat whatsoever. Yeah, I could see you owning a 10-year-old house. The power goes out and you go find a hotel and come back two days later and your house is ruined. And when that drywall gets wet, you got to replace it all. Um, and it's not great for wood to sit in the water either. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a lot, I think just crazy amount of insurance claims. And like I said, I think the insurance is going to go up quite a bit because the insurance companies are going to realize maybe from a risk perspective, you know, they probably under underestimated this risk. And they're probably saying just like in Florida, like I said, 30 years ago, you could buy reasonably placed insurance. And now cost for insurance in Florida is like seven or eight times what I would pay here just because of all the hurricanes they've had since the mid 1990s. Well, and you start thinking about it because the insurance has to pay for all the places in the same place at the same time. Like you say, the contractors aren't available. So prices spike wood prices. Framing lumber is two or three times what it was a year ago in part because of some knucklehead uh, tariffs that the previous administration put on. Hopefully that will correct itself. But this kind of demand keeps keeps prices up. So, boy, you got to make sure your homeowner's insurance is for replacement value, not for what it costs to build the house. Because you sit in the house for five or ten years, and that goes up faster than inflation. That's a good point. So it's good it's uh, uh, good to take a look at that every year and make sure it can it can rebuild your house. And the challenge is, if your house has to be rebuilt, everybody else is rebuilding their house at the same time. It can take take years. Yeah, there's a lot of folks. I have relatives in South Florida. I mean, there were people with blue tarps on their roof, um, you know, at Christmas time, which was months and months and months after some of the summer sh storms came through, just because you couldn't get people out to roof because everybody needed a roofer to, to fix their roof. Oh, boy. I'm not a big fan of people who leave big RVs parked in their driveway, but you can see the attraction of having a spare house just in case. That's another, that's another good risk mitigation. If you're going to afford an RV, that's a, that's a real, I mean, that's a good idea. Uh, well, um, I think we've taught, I think we've killed this one. Yeah. I, I wish our friends in Texas, I wish everybody in Texas, good luck. Um, I'm sure they'll respond to this. They have a lot of resources down there. Um, it does feel like if it is the fault of global warming and climate change, that it's a little bit of, oh, let's call it fossil fuel karma biting them on the ass because uh, a lot of fossil fuels come out of Texas. Uh, yeah. My recommendation, folks, winterize. It's got to be cheaper than doing it the way this, doing it the same way. All right. Well, I think we should sign off. Good luck, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. <laughs>